0: On May 13, 2015, Savas Savopoulos, his wife Amy, their 10 year old son Philip, and their housekeeper Vera Figueroa were held for 19 hours in their home in Washington, D.C. DNA found on pizza crust that was left inside the home led police to arrest one man, Darren Wendt. He's pled not guilty to all charges against him. He's currently in jail, and his trial is set for September 2018. lot in 19 hours, binge watch half of House of Cards season three, travel from D.C. to NYC twice, put a full work day in, happy hour, and head to bed. For wealthy businessman Savas Sabopoulos, his wife Amy, their 10-year-old son Philip, and their housekeeper Verilicia Figueroa, for 19 hours, starting on May 13, 2015, they were being held hostage inside their stately Woodland Drive home in Washington, D.C., they were bound, suffocated, stabbed, beaten, and then with gasoline doused on their bodies, set on fire. One week after the gruesome murders and a nationwide manhunt, one man was arrested for the killings. Darren Went. The mansion murders caught the attention of not only the greater D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, but the nation as well. Despite the case's high profile, misinformation and confusion of the details still exist. We're asking people what they remember about that story. Would you want to comment? It was horrible and gruesome and sort of sends chills down your spine
1: sort of
2: crime. They might have found the guy's like DNA off like some pizza or something like that.
0: It was a crazy story, uh, but it's, just, it's two years ago. Do you remember any specifics about the story? Serving on a grand jury for five weeks, one go around, and eight weeks the other time. Sadly, there is a story behind the story that we don't always know about violent events usually there's something behind the story. The podcast is kind of looking at, did this guy who's arrested do it by himself? Is there somebody else out there? To be someone else. It can't be a solo job. I don't think they've got all the people.
1: He may be a part of it. I don't know if he was a mastermind. And I don't know if it's just a disgruntled employee. I don't know.
0: Nearly two years after the murders, this is what we do know. We know that on May 13th, in the late afternoon, Savas Savopoulos was in Chantilly, Virginia, getting his Japanese martial arts dojo studio ready for its grand opening that weekend. Savas was by all accounts a wealthy businessman who was the CEO of American Ironworks. Savas was nice looking, with short hair, round wire glasses, and very proud to be Greek. Savas gets a phone call from his wife, Amy, summoning him to come home immediately on the 13th. We'll probably never know what Amy actually said to Savas, but around 4:45 p.m., he leaves the Dojo studio in Virginia. Amy was also in her mid-40s. She was a doting mother to her three children: Abigail, Katerina, and Philip. Abigail and Katerina were in high school and they were away at boarding school when the murders happened. Philip was just 10 years old. Little Philip was adorable. I have a niece Philip's age, so I can only imagine how sweet and innocent he was. In the Facebook pictures, and when you Google Philip, he's smiling, wearing glasses, and looks happy. Philip loved racing cars, and his family was starting to invest big time in Philip's racing hobby. By the time Savas gets home, Amy, Vera, and Philip were already being held hostage. Vera had been the family's longtime housekeeper. She was married and had three children of her own. She was a proud mother and planning to move back to her native El Salvador. According to Nelly Gutierrez, the family's other longtime housekeeper and Vera's friend, Vera didn't speak good English. And almost on a daily basis, Nelly would have to translate instructions from Amy, print them out in an email, and give them to Vera so she knew what the task was ahead. We know from police records that several text messages and phone calls were made from Amy and Savas throughout the night and the next morning of their capture. The other housekeeper, Nelly Gutierrez, was one of the people that received a voice message from Savas telling her not to come to work on Thursday, May 14th. Nelly had been working for the family for 20 years. She has dark hair, just about shoulder length. She owns her own housekeeping business, and she's often wearing designer brand clothing. More sinister were the calls and texts from ransom money that came from Savas's phone. On the morning of May 14th, there were several text messages from Sabas to his assistant, Jordan Wallace, to collect $40,000 from a Bank of America in Hyattsville, Maryland, and deliver the money to their Woodland Drive home. Remember the name Jordan Wallace. You're going to want to put your investigator hats on because he's a major X factor in this case. Wallace was 27 years old at the time of the murders. He grew up in Annapolis, came from a broken home, and was obsessed with the expensive world of racing cars. He'd been Salvis's assistant and driver for just four months prior to the family's murder. But in that short time, he had an incredible amount of access to the family's home, vehicles, and their lives. From the start, he's problematic. He lies to police about how he picks up and drops off the $40,000. Fox 5 is one of the first media outlets to report the name Jordan Wallace and to discover that he's lied to police. Ask
2: ...this report, which you will only see on Fox 5. Emily.
0: Well, Tony, multiple sources have told me that Jordan Wallace is the so-called witness one in court documents. He lied to police about the details of dropping off $40,000 cash at the Savopolis house on the day they were murdered. Now, we've been trying to find Jordan Wallace for a week, but he seems to be hiding from the media. After the 40K was dropped off around 10.30 or 11 a.m. on the 14th, Jordan leaves the Woodland Drive mansion and drives out to Virginia, leaving his BMW at the Savopolis home and taking one of their vehicles. We know at some point that Sabas, Amy, Philip, and Vera were stabbed and suffocated in their upstairs bedroom and then set on fire. The assailant or assailants leave the home taking the Sabopolis' navy blue Porsche. One aspect that makes this story so unbelievable is where it took place. Woodland Drive in Northwest DC is a half a mile from the vice president's home. The mansions that line the streets are gorgeous, and the average home price is around $4 million. When I first moved to DC 10 years ago, I'd walk in this neighborhood and dream of what it must be like to live in one of those stone or brick mansions behind a gate with their own security. Yes, many of the residents in this neighborhood contract out private security companies to patrol the area every 15 to 20 minutes to make sure they're safe. Once the mansion was set on fire, it didn't take neighbors long to call 911. Around 1.20 p.m. on May 14th, the fire department is dispatched, and from the moment they walk into the Savopolis home, they know it's a crime scene. Rescue to the Yeah, we're trying to coordinate some action on the second floor. Also, if you would advise, Chief,
2: the room in crime entrance two is a crime scene. All units operating with the 5, Ops 5, use caution. This is a crime scene.
0: Paul Wagner is a longtime reporter here at Fox 5. He has salt and pepper hair. I often see him wearing a blue shirt or a vest. And he has a slight Maryland, Baltimore accent. He loves his job. He calls himself an enterprise reporter. But for the sake of this podcast, he's an investigative reporter. Everywhere I went in this city, every cop and attorney knew who Paul Wagner was and his ability to get to the bottom of a story. Wagner recalls the first phone call he got about the murders and the mansion fire.
2: I was sitting at my desk, I remember this vividly, and uh, my phone rang, my cell phone rang, and it was from a um, source, I should say, who I dealt with regularly, um, who told me that um, firefighters had just pulled four bodies out of this house on Woodland Drive. And uh, I, of course, knowing that anytime you get a story like that. It's jump, move, let's get going. Um, and I immediately called the commander of the second district, um, Melvin Gresham. He happened to be on the scene. He answered his phone and I said, commander, this is Paul Wagner with Fox five. I was just told you pulled four bodies from this house. And his quote back to me was, that's what the fire department is telling me. Now We know from reporting that there were three people found dead inside the house, and yet Mm -hmm. Verilicia Figueroa was apparently still showing some signs of life.
0: Vera was showing signs of life, but she died on the way to the hospital and was never able to communicate with police or fire and rescue. When did you start to really work the case? You know, um, the four bodies are recovered. Like you said, Vera ends up passing away at the hospital. Um, Firefighters walk in from the 911 call. They immediately recognize it's a homicide situation. So when did things start picking up here at Fox?
2: Well, we knew that it was a crime immediately based on what the chief told us, uh, that there was a missing vehicle. This Porsche was missing. And so... We knew that this was going to be a big deal. I didn't start to work the story until the next morning. And uh, when I get in, I immediately got with my photographer and we went over there. The scene was still very active. The house was surrounded by police tape and there were forensic vans there and officers coming and going from the house. But my immediate question was, where's the Porsche? All right. So we learned overnight that the missing Porsche had been recovered um, and we knew it had been recovered in Maryland based on a source but no one would say where. And to me that was the next step was where was that Porsche recovered because that would then give some indication as to the perpetrator who stole the vehicle would have left there, must have some connection to that neighborhood and in my since my new sense said, that's the next step. That's where the investigators are going to be.
0: Around dusk on May 14th, we know there was a car fire reported in a church parking lot about 20 miles away from the Savopoulos home. The parking lot is behind St. Christopher's Episcopal Church in Hyattsville, Maryland. It's an odd place to torch a car. The church is right next to a busy shopping center that has a Staples, a sandwich shops, and a popular catering company, La Fountain Blue. It also sits adjacent to a large apartment complex that has clear views of the parking lot and a footpath that sees a lot of people from the apartment building using it as a cut through to get to the shopping center. Not exactly discreet. Around this time, police also release a video from Fountain Blue Catering right next door. In the video, you see a slender man with what appears to be a hood over his head, carrying a bucket, running away from the building and the location of the burning Porsche. The person in the video isn't identified, but it's the first time you get an image of someone who might have been involved. The $40,000 money drop wasn't made public for several days after the murders. And Paul Wagner remembers Fox 5 getting that big tip.
2: My next major jump to this case was, we had that information, but the police weren't confirming it. So I went up to the home that Verilicia Figueroa shared with her husband. We got to the house. And uh, went up and knocked on the door, and I remember speaking with Alicia's daughter, who said that um, her father didn't want to comment. We wanted to talk to him because we had been told that he had gone to the house looking for her and got a phone call from Sava saying that Viralisha wasn't there at the house, that she had gone to the hospital with Amy. And so we wanted to talk to him, but we were told he didn't want to talk. So I'm standing outside the house and who comes out of the house, but the other housekeeper, the one who had been working at the house. Nelly Gutierrez. Yes. And she had been told, of course, not to come to the house that day. So we knew that she had a part of this story that others didn't have. And so I recall very, very clearly, standing there and talking to her, and I said, what do you know about the fact that we're being told that money was delivered to the house? She then repeated the same story that we had been hearing. Hmm. And I said, well, how do you know that? How do you know that? And she said, because I talked to Jordan Wallace, and he told me that he delivered the money. And at that point, I knew we had a major jump to the story.
0: Four days after the murders, the torched Porsche being found, and the 40K delivery revealed, police still didn't have a suspect. So Monday would have been four days after this had happened. Were there any names being thrown around of potential suspects?
2: Not that I recall. No, other than once we learned about the $40,000, we were like, well, who's this person that delivered it? And we started learning that he had a courier named Jordan Wallace who brought the money to the house. Now, what we did learn eventually, of course, within a few days was his role in this um, and the fact that in the police affidavit, they admitted that he had lied to them. And, And that raised a lot of questions.
0: While the media begins to ask questions about Jordan Wallace, the police end up revealing that Wednesday night, while the Savopoulos family was being held hostage and Amy and Savas were making calls and text messages, that Amy called Domino's Pizza and had two pizzas delivered to the house with an odd request. She'd asked that the delivery driver leave the pizzas outside on the doorstep. The delivery guy does just that and tells police that the house was dark when he arrived. There was an envelope on the step with a tip in it. He takes the envelope and leaves. One of those pizza boxes survives the fire and has enough DNA on it for police to make a match. This is the part of the story that really went national and most people are familiar with. From the surviving pizza box, police test the crust for DNA and get a match. Darren went.
2: A lot of big jumps to the story. We find the Porsche, we then learn about the $40,000. And then within a day or so of that, the post broke the story that DNA had been taken from the pizza delivered to the house. And then the story just exploded because then it was, who is Darren Wint?
1: One man, Darren Wint, is in custody, charged with the crime after police say his DNA was discovered on a pizza crust
0: found in a pizza box left at the scene. Marina Moranco is also a reporter here at Fox 5. She's young. And she has a look as though she works on 48 Hours. You just get that vibe. She remembers the night that police announced Darren went as a suspect.
1: That night was very interesting too, the night that we find out. So for a week straight, we have no name suspect. All we know is that this crazy crime happened in an incredibly wealthy and safe neighborhood of Washington, D.C. There's not a single suspect. Chief Lanier has talked about it. She says that there were more people involved. There's a back and forth. Were there more people? Were there not more people? There's a door, a footprint on the door. What happened? Whose footprint is that? Turns out it was the firefighters who kicked in the door. But we didn't know. We thought it was a suspect. And then finally, we get a name, Darren Wint. Two days later is when we see Darren Wint for the first time because Darren Wint leaves. Darren Wint takes, he's like, bye, I'm out. He goes up to New Jersey, goes up to see, to Brooklyn rather, to see his girlfriend, talks to her, God knows what, anyways, comes back. We learn that Darren Wendt is a criminal. Darren Wint has a track record. He is from Guyana. Darren Wint has domestic violence charges on his rap sheet. I mean, this is someone who's got quite a rap sheet. And we speak
0: with attorneys who have previously represented him. Darren Dylan Wendt was once an aspiring Marine he was 37 years old at the time of the killings and lived in the suburbs of DC. He tried going to community college, but never finished. Went was fairly active on social media, posting lots of pictures of himself working out, hanging out with friends and with women. He was in great shape and a pretty big guy. His hair was long and in dreadlocks. And when he smiled, he was handsome. But in other pictures, he almost looked frightening and aggressive. Went came from a large family, nine kids total. He had five sisters and three other brothers. He was also a father with a young son, but Wendt had a violent side. He was arrested three times for assault in 2006 and 2007, serving a 10 month sentence in New York, and then convicted of assaulting a girlfriend in Maryland in 2009. In 2010, he pleaded guilty to malicious destruction of property after he allegedly broke into a woman's apartment, stole a TV, vandalized her car, and threatened to kill her infant daughter. Also in 2010, Wint was arrested carrying a two-foot-long machete and a BB pistol outside of American Ironworks headquarters. But weapons charges were dropped after he pleaded guilty to possessing an open container of alcohol. By the way, this is a big piece of the story. You remember at the start, I mentioned that Savas Savopoulos was the CEO of American Ironworks? Yeah. Darren Wendt was a former employee of theirs, and he was fired in 2009. The Pizza Crust DNA set off a nationwide manhunt for Wendt, and phone calls were pouring into Fox 5 with tips as to where he could be.
2: We actually got phone calls at our assignment desk from people claiming to know where he was. And I remember this vividly. I remember Kenny Martin saying that he just got a phone call from somebody who knows Darren Wendt, who said he'd been up in New York, and he's now on his way back to D.C., we didn't know if that was believable or not. We had no idea. It turned out to be right.
0: Kenny Martin is one of the assignment editors at Fox 5 who was fielding those phone calls. The U.S. Marshals had also been called in to track Darren Wendt. And in the District of Columbia, police worked closely with the U.S. Marshals, so it wasn't a surprise that they had joined the search for Went. Now we know that Wendt took the Chinatown bus from D.C. to Brooklyn, New York, to visit his girlfriend. The marshals in New York City just miss Went at his girlfriend's house and get a tip that he's headed back to D.C. in a taxi. That tip was correct. Went paid a cab driver $1,000 and returned to a Howard Johnson's hotel in Maryland just over the line from the District of Columbia. Marshals had been following him the whole time and had the hotel under surveillance. So when Went and a couple of friends decide to leave and head from Maryland crossing the border into the District of Columbia, the marshals make their move. Wagner remembers the night that Went was caught.
2: I put out the word to my sources to say, if you get this guy, call me. You know, I need to know as soon as you have him in custody. And these sources said that they would try and help me if they could. And so we now know that Darren Went went to this Howard Johnson's over in Maryland, that he was under surveillance, that they had tracked him to the hotel. They were watching him there. Suddenly they saw him come out. He gets into a Chevy Cruise with two females, and then there are two others who get into a box truck, and then they drive off together. And there were a number of law enforcement vehicles, including U.S. Marshals and others, who followed them. And they followed them down Rhode Island Avenue from Maryland into the district, and then suddenly they stopped them. And uh, they moved in and surrounded the vehicles, and they took Darren Went into custody uh, without any incident. And uh, suddenly my phone was ringing and I jumped up and I looked at it and I saw who was calling me. I knew there was some news. And all I, I heard was there was a lot of noise in the background. Whoever was calling me was calling me from the scene saying, we got him. And I said, Wint? He says, yep, he's in custody. We've got him.
0: The U.S. Marshals had got their man. Just about one week after the horrific fire and the murders of the Savopolis family that had terrified DC and beyond, Darren Wendt was handcuffed and taken into custody. The men and women who were with Darren Wendt the night of his arrest completely let go. They were questioned, but never arrested. This will be another source of rumors and speculation, and more on that later. But DC police had boasted that they had their guy. Wendt then pleaded not guilty to 20 felony charges he's facing in the brutal crime. The murder charges include four counts each of felony murder in the course of kidnapping, felony murder in the course of burglary, and felony premeditated murder. In the first court affidavit, charging went with the murders. Detectives said that he had help from others. But now, two years later, no one else has been charged, and Went's trial is set for September 2018. There's never been a reason why. No specifics about a motive. Hi, I'm Sarah Frazier, and this is The Mansion Murders, a Fox 5 true crime podcast. Over the next six weeks, we're gonna shine a greater light on what we know and identify and examine some of the areas that are still unsettled and deserve greater attention in this case. Who is the Savopolis family? Who is Darren Wendt? why did he commit this crime? And did he act alone? Who is Jordan Wallace and what was his involvement? And was the other housekeeper, Nelly Gutierrez, saved by a twist of fate? or premeditation. Along the way, you'll be introduced to a variety of individuals who are involved in this tragic story, either directly or by investigating it, who may share their role and opinions. Coming up on the next episode of The Mansion Murders. There was so much unusual behavior. We wondered, is there a money connection that we're missing somehow? Savos,
2: on the other hand, he was more of a cutthroat type of
1: Yeah.
0: You've sort of been cut off, right, in some way? hmm Yeah, maybe,
1: because, you know... A year
2: or a year and a half before that, I started having these premonitions that something was going to happen to Saba's.
0: Thank you for listening to The Mansion Murders, a Fox 5 true crime podcast. And a big thanks to our team for putting this show together. Ronnie McRae, shooter and editor. Josh Danzig, writer. Judith Ayers, researcher. Paul Wagner and Marina Morocco. Want more Mansion Murders? See what went into this episode. You can visit our YouTube page for a video recap. Just search Fox 5 DC. Or visit our website, fox5dc.com. I'm Sarah Frazier. We'll see you next week.